2: Pay attention for a brand new big interview, two bits of news. First, we've been nominated in the podcast of the year category at the Football Supporters Federation Awards. Thank you. It's fantastic. If you'd like to vote for us and listen, who doesn't appreciate appreciation? You can do that at fsf.org.uk forward slash awards fsf.org.uk forward slash awards. Thank you for your vote. Thanks for listening to. Secondly, I've spent the last few months updating Barca, the making of the greatest team in the world. That's for the first time since it was published in February 2012. This edition, lovingly dusted with a new messy image on the front from Wembley in 2011, contains a substantial new epilogue, particularly well written, I might say, with a fresh Inside perspective on the end of Guardiola's golden reign at the camp now, the transition of Tito Villanova from assistant to jefe, and the tragic death of this talented, fair, interesting, and much missed Catalan. There's also a new section on the brief but interesting reign of Tata Martino, how close he and his players came to trophies that season, and how clear he is on how badly wrong he went while in charge. During this goddamn year of 2016, when so many great, important people have gone, we also lost Johan Cruyff, my sporting idol, the godfather of the modern Barcelona era. Without him, no such football over the last 30, 40 years at the Camp Now, No book, no big interview, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Johan, thank you for everything. We all owe you. This new edition has at least 40 extra pages of new material, different from the original edition. The book's going to be available everywhere, but I would urge you to buy directly from us. Two reasons. Firstly, it'll guarantee you receive the new edition. If you order from elsewhere, there's a possibility of getting the original. Secondly, Backpage make just a little bit more money if you do buy from us, and that helps us keep writing, publishing, and producing these podcasts. Go to grahamhunter.tv forward slash books to buy the book from us. Now, on with the show. While talking to Stan Petrov, I learned he's worried about his kids. He's worried that while they grow up, they'll find about their dad's life and career that he was the guy who survived leukemia. So if any of us who are football fans, have forgotten about Stillian's playing career because of the nature of his incredible, successful fight against illness, let's use this two-part interview to remember it. He was a midfielder who was a box-to-box machine at Celtic and a brilliant, holding, organising footballer at Villa. Let's go back also to where it all began. Probably not all of you know that Stillian took an enforced break in the early years of his professional career to serve the Bulgarian army, for 18 months. He tells it here, but also connects the lessons he learned in the army with the footballer and the man that he'd go on to become. At Celtic, he had to adapt to a new country and a completely new language. How he improved his English is a cracking story, matched by very few of the exceptional guests we've had on the Big Interview podcast. We're going to start with golf, nervelessness, Stillian's grandfather, but first... Improve your English, get yourself to a burger van, get a burger, sit down and enjoy the first part of a fascinating interview with a genuinely remarkable man. It's a proper honour and privilege to be with uh, Stylian Petrov in his golf house, as as we call
3: it, uh, the Belfry. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Welcome. The coffee's, the coffee's very good here, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's a it's, it's a great setup. And uh, had my golf days here. I played golf here. You know, I've just started playing golf about two years ago, but I'm, I'm improving dramatically. Oh, yes. This is a new line of inquiry. How's how your swing? It, it is good. I uh, I won't lie. I have uh, a lot of lessons. Uh, I'd like to start playing better and better. Obviously, when I was a footballer. Everybody was playing golf. I wasn't a big fan. My words were, I'll never play golf. (laughs) I don't like it. You know, as as a footballer, you know, people would would love to go and play golf. I'd prefer to go and rest for four or five hours instead of being on a golf course, try to be ready for the next session and ready for the game. So I wouldn't take that. I wasn't very keen on it. But when I obviously retired, I just fell in love with it. It's addictive, isn't it? It is addictive. You know, when you hit that, Perfect shot yeah. for the first time. Then you go out. Oh, I want another one and another one. It's not any other sport. It's not everything we do. We do in life. If you do something good, you want to do it again. You don't want to do it better. I think it's probably the same with uh, golf as well. When you reach for your bag,
2: what's your favorite club?
3: I'll say the putter. <laughs> okay, because nice. that, that's where I decide the games. <laughs> I think you've, you can, you can I think hit you've any, told us something about yourself. There. Yeah, you can, nice. you can hit any other club, but if you don't make it right in the end, you're never going to score.
2: How's your nerve when, you, let's say, you're playing against a pal or playing against your tutor and you're on the green, you take that favourite club out. What, what, what's your mindset? What do you do to try and focus on putting that white thing in the hole?
3: I'm always relaxed. I never, I never get nervous. I've always been like that as a person, as a sportsman as well. I've never been nervous. Uh, when I was growing up in becoming something my dad my granddad they they were both footballers so they always teach me to relax to always uh, consider before I make something always to make sure that my mind is clear before I do anything and that's what I remember that's what I've worked on over these years I never get nervous and I think that's an advantage for me when I was a footballer playing golf now I just relax you know going to a, a final shot you know that you can get it wrong I'm not scared to get it wrong, because everybody gets it wrong. And when you're not scared to, to fail, you're always going to put it right.
2: You said something really interesting there, because you know how many millions and millions of people around the world would pay to be able to clear their mind or to avoid nerves or to accept risk. You say it like it's natural now, but if it was taught from your father and your grandfather, is there a process? Because it's not like a switch. You just say to yourself, still never be nervous again. That's not the human condition.
3: No, it's not. And it, it is a process. And I've worked on it really, really hard. Of, you know, I was going back crying after making a mistake. And then I would speak with my dad, I would speak with my granddad, you know, how I need to deal with it, what I've done wrong. how I, And my granddad made a great point. He said to me, you know what? If you look at all the great ones, writers, sportsmen, anything you look at in the world, they all failed but they all come back. And you know why that? Because they manage to control their feelings. They manage to control their, their nervousness because when you get nervous, that's why you make mistakes. That's mm-hmm. why you make one mistake, then after that mistake will follow another mistake. So you need to understand and realize that failing is not wrong. Failure will make you stronger. So I've, I've managed to get that into my mind. I've managed to understand that failing one day will make you stronger for the next day. And I've worked on it. I've worked on it on every aspect in life.
2: I mean, you're echoing words that Alex Ferguson has always used when he analyses his own career. I've heard him say often, and I know in contributing to uh, a fellow guest of yours, Luca Vialli and Gabriel Marcotti's book, he, he talked about assessing his competitors around him and talking about him not being afraid to make big decisions, even if they eventually went wrong, because A taking a decision rather than being scared of risk or scared of failure is positive. B, knowing how to cope with the decision going wrong and what to do is far better than just sitting on a problem situation. But even though you say it and he's shown it, culture, our culture at least, I can't speak for Bulgaria, we attach shame and stigma to failure. We treat it as an unhealthy thing, something to run away from, Whereas you're talking about it as something that you want to avoid if you can, but if it happens, which might be inevitable, you use it for positive. That's not common in society.
3: I think a failure, a lot of people use it for excuse. I've always said that's an easy way of getting out of a certain situation. And a lot of people use it in a human being, environment where we live. I think the failure, people use it for excuse. A lot of people prefer to fail. Mm-hmm. To succeed mm-hmm. because the demand is higher mm-hmm. every single day, but I lived with it. Probably a lot of people achieve more than me, but I think I've achieved my career was quite decent. And from my level, I'm really happy with it. What I've achieved as a person going through a battle of you know cancer, mm-hmm. seeing different things in a different way, I was never ashamed to fail because that for me, failing that, like I say, will make me stronger for the days your dad and your granddad gave you a very very valuable gift huh? they did and uh, you know I was pleased like they will teach me certain things that I need to appreciate in life when I started when I was growing up I lived in a, a very small town Montana my dad would never take me to training he said to me, you need to walk to training, you need to appreciate your work and if you don't appreciate it, you're never going to be good at it. That's why I've learned from the start and I've remembered that, you know, appreciating my job, I've, I was never late. In my career, I was never late. Training, meeting, anything, because I knew how important it is, not just for me, but for people who I work with. I always try to make sure I respect the opposition that I play against and my teammates and I've always stick with that and over my career, I managed to keep in touch still with 80% probably with the players I've played with. That's a position of great respect. It is, and I think But you need to earn your respect. You earn your respect in different ways in life, not just being a sportsman in life in general. Mm. And uh, I managed to do that. I'm really happy. But you need to work for that every single day. But because you had talent, which, some of which you are born with,
2: aside from what you worked to develop, aside from what you might owe to a coach who brought you on. You have innate sporting talent. So when you are a boy in Montana...
3: Montana, yeah.
2: Montana, you're made to walk to training. There must be a degree to which you already know, without being arrogant, that you're a bit special. And as you succeed, you can feel a bit special. And often the temptation then is to know what the good things are to do, but because you're special, it doesn't matter if maybe I step out of line this one time or if, I, if I'm a little bit late. Talent is a really good excuse for ignoring
3: rules. It is, but I'll, I'll stop you right there because <laughs> I wasn't that talented. I had the talent in me, yeah, but I need to work very hard to bring it out of me. I could run a lot, but I need to work harder. My stamina wasn't there. I need to work harder than anybody else to make sure I'll be stronger. I need to do extra running. I need to do extra leg, leg weights because I knew I was well behind. I knew I had something in me. I know I can see it, but I knew I need to work for it. So after every training, I will go extra to work on my touch, you know, in little room against the wall because I knew I need to be better. I need to bring that out of me. I knew it's in me. I, I knew it because I was very strong minded from, that, from a young boy. But I knew I need to work for it. And since then, when I was g- going to Montana, moving to CSK, to Celtic, Aston Villa, I find a different different challenges. You know, going to Celtic, I was overweight. I need to sort my diet. I need to sort my aerobic capacity, you know, running. The stamina need to go even further up, higher. And I need to work on it. So I need to put a fitness coach on the side and I need to speak to him. And he worked with me for about two years. He's a ma- personal fitness coach. But he's, he's the fitness coach of the team. Ah, sorry. But when, when he works there, it's very difficult to really work specifically one guy. And for me, he needs to work extra. i come in common afternoons. I'll stay after training because he told me I'm way behind. And for me to make sure that I can play and I can be somebody, I need to do that. And I need to work for it because people say talent. Yeah, we have talent but you, you need to work to develop that talent even further. When you're working so
2: hard, mentally and physically, let's say still in Bulgaria, why are you doing it? Personal ambition, to please your grandfather and your father,
3: to earn lots of money. What, what's the drive? Being competitive. I'm a very competitive person. I would like to challenge against the best. I want to play against the best. I want to play against uh, with the best and against the best. And to do that, you need to be in a, in a level, in a way higher level than everybody thinks. Because when you play against, you've seen it, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Manchester United, you've got players there which you say they're talented mm-hmm. and they can do different things so easily than you. So for you to manage to match them and to give them a time that they'll, you know, next time when I play against you, they'll remember you, that they had a tough time at the first time and they need to be much better in the second time. You need to work hard. That was my drive and my thinking all the way when I was every single day. You know, it was very difficult because my wife used to say to me, why are you so competitive? Why are you going running again at night? Why everybody's coming back at one o'clock, you're coming back at four o'clock. But I knew I needed to do it. I knew I needed to do it. And only way for me to do it is working harder and making sure that I develop and improve every single day. Not every year or again, every single day.
2: You've reminded me of Frank Lampard, who had a similar attitude about extra running, never mind the bad weather, doing more than everybody else, and look where it got him, look where it got you. It's an attitude that I admire.
3: I know how he works. Obviously, when you go to start, you're asking how the best work. and obviously Frank is, you know, people don't give him enough credit, but for a midfielder to score over 200 goals, not many will hit that target, and he's one of them that I admire a lot. Obviously, I had Steve Sidwell, who was at Chelsea, and he was at Aston Villa. So I was asking a lot of questions, probably at one point you said, is, is this guy fell in love with Frank Lauper? <laughs> but you ask, you try to see what everybody else does. If you want to get closer mm. to them, you need to do the same work, even harder. Mm. So I was asking, you're always good to know what the opposition does, how they improve, what mm. they do. And he really said that he's top professional and he would had every single day.
2: So many footlers could benefit from this. The link, when you immediately share the advice and the decisions that your grandfather and your father made that benefit you, that stay with you to this day. I remember Frank Sr. Frank Jr. almost called it, almost called it bullying. Get out, put your spikes on, practice sprinting, do the doggies out in the rain. And a fellow guest of yours, Harry Redknapp, when we went down to his, his house, he... he expressed himself like you that his disappointment that people don't appreciate the extent of the hard work the diligence day after day year after year the mental strength that frank used to get where he got to and you share something i'm skipping about here and i was i'm going to do it again because it's private interview we're just having fun you share something else with Frank, I think, in that one of the things that, you know, I'm, sadly, I was away from Scotland when you, when your career really blossomed. I was in yeah. London, then Barcelona. But when I could see you, um, either live once or twice or on television, you had a fantastic sense of timing. For all your hard work, when to make a run towards the box, into the box, a run to support, maybe a run to take a little glancing touch your head or off. Larson who dropped a little bit deeper than the nine position and there would be you and, and the great thing for you would be they would say, here, come still in and they, a touch would set you into the box. If we've talked about your dedication, your competitiveness and your fitness and your aerobic capacity, where where did this timing, they call it in Spanish, they call it llegada, how to arrive in the dangerous situations, where does that come from? And am I right, do you have
3: it? Yeah, I do have it. Yeah. I do have it yeah. and uh, at Celtic I've used it very well. Um, obviously it's about players you playing with I knew my teammates I knew what they're going to do every minute I knew how Henrik will play how Chris Sutton would play how John Hudson would play I knew their movement I knew how good they opened the space for me it was just time of me arriving and a lot of players don't understand that sometimes simple, simple things make you the best and I was the best known in Scotland for that because Martin O'Neill was giving me that freedom to go and surprise teams because we only played with one ball and people don't realise that people switch off. They don't look runners. They don't see other people except the ball. And I've used that. I've used that weakness of a players. I've used it. All my teammates knew that I've got that football brain to get to run into space late. I knew every time, you know, people think, manager will say, well, when we play a long ball, a long ball to our striker, you need to go behind. I don't need to be told that I knew straight away I knew that if our defenders get the ball to play along I already know because I knew all their defenders all their midfielders will be occupied their attention will be where the ball will go what will happen but I already will be thinking to the next move and every time they flick it I'll be first into it and I've got a lot of penalties I've scored a lot of goals and you work on it you work on it I remember when we were playing the European uh, final against Porto Remember Mourinho was, was saying before that they need to watch for me because I, I arrived late. I can use the space very cleverly. And I remember he he was giving Manisha the time, yeah, a special video to watch. You know, yeah, to watch and, how to go yeah. with you. And to be honest, he marked me out of the game. It mm-hmm. was every time I tried to run to a space, he was there. Every time I, I tried to do something different, he was there. So obviously they knew my game. Yeah, they closed me down, and I couldn't really hurt them at the final. Which I was really disappointed, but that made me even stronger to go back and learn more, what I've done wrong, what I can do if they match me up. So these little things make you develop other side of your game. But I was well known for, you know. It's a
2: huge compliment because not only was Mourinho then, he, he doesn't quite seem to have the same tactical feel for games now. Maybe that's an illusion. But then he read, he was so hungry. Maybe his approach to football mirrors what you're talking about, determination, prove yourself, be better all the time. And Manish was a great player, but he wasn't always that hard a worker. He knew that his talent could take him, and Costinha next to him was really the hard worker. So it was an enormous compliment that Mourinho saw your ability to find space and read the game, that he puts Manish on you at the risk of cutting some of Manish's creative ability and that Manish gives one of the games of his life against you. It doesn't make
3: losing any happier, but it's a huge compliment. It is, is a huge compliment, but through my career, when I was playing through Celtic, we had a very strong team, and I think when you go to double figures, when you play against Champions League games, European mm. games, I think the manager are aware of it, and they try to stop it, they try to stop the danger, and that's a compliment that you're doing something right, right, and you do it consistently, week in and week out, which uh, makes you realise... All the hard work you've put so far And how you develop as a player Now I'm going to cheat
2: a little bit And I said to you before we came in You're allowed to say no that's rubbish That's fine. But you said I'm never nervous I I hope I found a moment when you were You're sitting at home 13-14 It's the World Cup in 94 Bulgaria doesn't have a great record Of winning games in competitions Or getting to competitions Even before we get to the Germany game It's penalties against Mexico Tell me you weren't sitting in front of the TV, I don't know, at home in the youth club, biting your nails.
3: I wasn't nervous and I'll tell you why, because obviously we qualified in the last minute against France, you know, the country was excited, everybody was happy, everybody sorry David ginella
2: Sorry. Sorry, no.
3: <laughs> but you know, everybody was decided just Bulgaria qualifying for the World Cup on that manner, you know, last minute, it was exciting in France, you know, in Paris. and Everybody was satisfied just us being there. And I remember first game we lost four new from Nigeria. Yeah. You know, but we didn't, we didn't put our head down. We were, we were happy because our idols are in the World Cup. You know, we, we loved watching them, you know, Stoichkov, Balakov, you know, Ivanov, uh, Lechkov. It was so many, so many strong characters that are idols, you know. We, we loved watching them. You know, when they start winning, the excitement going through the roof. You know, the country is out on the streets. I remember the first win against Greece, then the winds falling afterwards. We were just out there Which is Argentina, I think, isn't it? Exactly. We Which Argentina, is something. You know, uh, Germany, Mexico. And it was, you know, the fairy tale was just getting better and better. It's like a little kid reading a book with excitement. That's, <laughs> what, that's how we was. We wasn't nervous. We were just excited and proud to see our fellow Bulgarians being in a big stage and achieving something that probably won't be achieved for many, many years. And
2: they played with, I think, what stuck out to me, I was at that World Cup, and what stuck out to me was that they were the team that lit the tournament up, I think. There was a story about Italy on the ropes, Jake LaMotta all the time, and Baggio was the puncher, and he comes back and it goes badly for Bulgaria later on, but that was kind of Badgers World Cup there was an extraordinary story about Ireland people kind of looked at Brazil and said why aren't they playing attractively Maradona got in trouble but the shining story I think was Bulgaria not from the outside point of view just because they were there and winning but the style with which your team was playing because
3: you named them as characters but also the amount of ability in that team was gigantic the ability is one thing I think that to win games it was incredible in that dressing room it's not just stronger character. They were bad losers as well. <laughs> if you look at the, the history, they always had five in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. There was always thing they want play, don't like the other ones. But the most interesting thing is that team. Everything step on the pitch. They were animals. They wanted to win. They wanted to make sure that their names will be remembered, mm. and they've done it because there was such a powerful bunch of boys of putting together. You know, when you go in one team with 30 players, strong characters, it's very hard to handle them. And they had an amazing manager, Dmitry Peneff. He gave me a chance to become a, a somebody, you know, a CSK Sophia. Wow. And he this was... Lubo's... N- yes. Father. Un- uncle. Uncle, pardon yeah. me. It was so simple. You know, people talking about man management mm-hmm. and he was the best of it. He was one man who knew everything. Everything that happened in the team, with the players, where the players go, what the players do, Mm. how the players feel, he managed that very well. That's what he's done in the World Cup. All these strong characters, they're having problem after problem every single day in training, in the dressing room. He managed to handle them and to put them together and to play together, which is very hard to do in these days. Now this, in those days, true, but it can have been easy because... Um, well, Will you be able to, to uh, deal with Stoichkov? It's funny you've you've seen, you mentioned you've, his name. You've, you've seen enough of I, I was going to share a couple of
2: anecdotes. The first time I met him was in the build-up to the 1998 um, World Cup. And he was over some sort of ambassador. And I had gone out. I'd just gone out in Marseille, I think, truthfully, possibly, either on my own or, or with a guy you know very well, Mark Reedy. And we went to something that was called the Metal Box, and it was just a nightclub in Marseille. We went in, and there were sort of these um, electronic LED tickers all round the roof at the side, and it was saying um, whatever the French is, Feliz cumple, or whatever, and I know, that's Spanish. To Risto Stoichkoff and there at the bar is Risto Stoichkoff having champagne and a couple of girls there and I went up to him and I went I said I've never met you before happy birthday he said it's not my birthday it's just great fun <laughs> he's, he's amazing <laughs> and the second story is a couple of years ago when Barcelona qualified for the Champions League final I'm asked to get an interview from him about where it all began 92 Wembley etc I said, listen, you know, they, they build up the game and we have a nice football chat. Then I said, listen, um, you know, it must have been quite a nervous time for you because you're with Barcelona, Champions League final, 1992 Wembley um, European Cup. They've never won it before. There's all this tension from the cap. Nervous, he said. As if I'd accused him from being a, a Martian or something like that. He said, the morning of the game, we went out and had a round of golf. The manager didn't know, but I enjoyed it. Then we went out and won the European Cup final. So I said to him a couple of months later when I went to him, that's a great story you gave me. He said, yeah, I didn't tell you everything because when he came back from the golf and then he said something that I can't repeat on... Uh, but he met some of the staff in the yeah. hotel. Met in inverted commas. And went out and won the European Cup. So if, he was, if, if, if Penev was able to <laughs> know everything he was doing and controlling he was one hell of a man.
3: He was, he was. But he knew the players that he had, they, they loved the big stage. They love to perform in the big games. They love to be seen from the world because of the, the talent they had. And they wanted to show it. And he let them express themselves. He let them do it on their
4: own way. Hmm. And he managed to su- succeed. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
2: That's brilliant man management. Before we leave the World Cup, I want to pick the moment when Risto himself is standing over the ball. It's a free kick. It's against Germany. I'm just interested. Having listened to the Dutch talking about 1988, the semi final against Germany when they went, what would Bulgarians and Bulgaria as a country think about Germany? Was was it just a game that was just against another big nation? Or when you're standing there and Risto Stoychkov's about to bend the ball with his left foot into the goal, into the right hand of the goal, and whatever, was it a grudge match? Was that a special
3: match? Is there any? Well, obviously, he went... Bulgaria is a small country, you always appreciate the, the big games and Germany is one of the big teams, you know, with everything they achieve. So we treat it as as well, probably the biggest game in the in, in Bulgarian national team when they play Germany, France, Spain. So you prepare differently that way. You get the build-up, everything is different. But when Stoichkov get that free kick, we were confident. Why? Because he was very well-known of his free kicks. And I remember, you know, as a young boy when the train the national team will go and watch him and he'll he'll be staying he'll be staying behind after training and you'll be practicing for forty minutes, fifty minutes, you'll be practicing. It's funny that you you always put the ball in the free kick and a little cone and people would, would say, Why why is that? So the ball will be lifted off the ground and you'll be taking the free kicks off the cone, which was very interesting. Wow. As a, but I've actually, still never seen that. Yeah, but You've seen how people practice it, but you always put it in a little con and you, you just say, Why is that? So he can get his technique right, how to bend it up and down and that's what that's what he's done. But you see it because he practice it. Yeah. And I remember when he when he became the manager of the national team, mm-hmm. you know, if every time we you uh, come and show us, you know, he'll be with his, you know, tracksuit and the training will be gone and after that okay let's have a few free kicks and you know we'll be lining up there and nobody will hit the tyre and he just you know <laughs> he'll just take his hands off the pocket put that little con put the ball and just put it in and we'll like sit in this is this is incredible but you know when you practice something so much you just can't forget it it's always going to be you I have believed he's practiced a million times over his career
2: Lechkov's goal would be in my top 5 World Cup goals ever not just for the win, but for the, the beautiful cross. The, the dive, it's like not a diving header in desperation. It's, it's like he knows he's going to connect and where it's going to go. It's elegant. It's like a dolphin rising. I, I
3: don't think he, he knew that. He probably does his only goal with a header. <laughs> but, you know, it was on the right he, time. He was saving it up. Yes. <laughs> but he was an exceptional midfielder. He was somebody who could play with the flair. Him and Balakov together, they accommodated very well each yeah. other. Two attacking uh, midfielders, but they also work hard. But their te- technical ability, it was incredible. He likes to be on the ball, let's go. He likes to be on the ball. He likes to play. He likes to, to leak. He, he, he likes to be the leading. He wants to create. He wants to be around everything. He wants the ball to be played to him all the time. He wants every time the defender gets the ball, it's me. If if somebody white player get the ball, it's me. And he will demand the ball. He won't hide. You know, sometimes you see players under pressure, he won't hide. That's a great phrase. Yeah. He will... He will go, he will demand the ball and you'll show that, you know, I'm your leading player. You Every time you have, you're in trouble, you play me, I'll play and I'll make sure that the ball will be looked after. So that's that kind of players we had at the time and he was one of them.
2: He reminds me a little bit of uh, Valaron Valerone. Who you play against not long after this, October 1998. Ivanov, Radev, Lulchev, Nadenov. Kremenliev, yeah, Stylian can't. Petrov, Martin Petrov, Yordanov, Gwenchev, Boncho Gwenchev. Yeah,
3: yeah, he used to play his switch in, in England. And yeah. he scores the penalty yeah. against
2: Mexico. Yeah. Milan Petkov, Stanchev and um, Dimitar Penev, the manager, yeah. playing against Atleti in European. And you pointed out before this, Shamot, Serena, Valeron, Juninho, Djokovic. Yes. Vladimir Yukovic, what yeah. a player, man. Jordi Lardin, a friend of mine, and Kiko, Tony Munoz, who went on to be a sporting director, managed by Rigo Saki.
3: Yeah, they had an incredible team, you know. At the time, we were doing very well. We were in Europe. Um, I think we picked Servet Molde from Norway, so um, we, we got Atletico Madrid, and I remember the stadium, it was, it was incredible. As a young boy, you live and breathe to play in front of... You know, forty thousand people. You know, the stadium was. I remember it was raining; it was slippery. But when they came, we never played against opposition like that. You know, playing in Bogotá, we're young boys. You know, first time we played Atleti, Juninho, Kiko, like all the names you mentioned. The power, the speed. Mm. That was the first time that we we actually learned about the world football because they came and that they, they won four two, and we managed to get back in the game, and it was close game. And after that, they just raised the level again and they just scored another goal. And you're thinking, wow, this is completely different. And as a young player, you want to come closer to that. Then we went, you know, in Spain and then what we saw there. As a young boy, first time going out there and, you know, playing in the stadiums like that, he just dreamed to be part of it. That's what gives you the excitement to become a footballer. And that game opened our eyes about the world world football.
2: I'm suspecting it must have opened Celtic's eyes too because... How do you, do you know how Celtic decided, yeah, Stylian Petrov is for us? What the heck did you know at that stage about Scotland and about Celtic? There's no internet. That's an early European experience for you in 98 against Atletico. I'm fascinated by how it's great that it happened. Great for you, great for Celtic, great for Aston Villa, and thank the Lord. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be here enjoying this chat with you. Do you know how it happened?
3: I think it was um, through Jozen Wenglish. I think he was um, scouting for Celtic around you know, the Balkans, Serbia, Bulgaria, uh-huh. that area. And I remember we played England. Played that England, that was the last game of the season, last qualifier. We drew one each and uh, I played really well. I had a good, decent six months because before that I was in the army. I wasn't allowed to play. I was me and Matt and Petro together, together national, na- service. national service. We just come out about six months before that, and we just started playing and I was called for the national team, so it was funny oh. you D- know? didn't that
2: <laughs> okay, look, I respect it because you're serving your country. i suppose one is is that a little bit frightening looking back is that a little bit strange? Three he's got lots of questions here didn't that put that off your game a little bit taking six months
3: out? It was. It's going going to army is eighteen months, a year and a half. It's not like you. It's a lot of time. It is it is at the time, it was must for everyone. We need to do it. Obviously, when you're a, a, a footballer or you're a wrestler or athlete, and you know, we could have a little bit easier in army. We, we had a special place that we can go and probably be there for four months, and there after that, easily you can start going out and train once or twice a week. After about eight months, you can start training more regularly. But literally, you go back to the squat every, every single day. So you know, not allowed. You go, you train, you go back. And that's what you do. You know, you get up half six in the morning, you sing the national anthem, you run 6K, and then you go back, you shower, you, you make sure your gun is uh, nicely polished, prepared, and then you go training. And then you go back again. And that's what you need to do. And, but you need to do it. It's no other way around. We had a, a teams that we can play an army team. So we've played against the, uh, other cities. that We managed to play for, for, them, for them as well. This is things that inspire you to become somebody, you know, because everything you go through it, people don't realise. You know, when you look at a player, I always look at a player and you don't know his background. You don't know how mm-hmm. hard we work, You don't know mm-hmm. what he went through. No. And sometimes you need to appreciate, you I, know, I when you... could you know, agree more. Sometimes we watch players, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, you know, Neymar and that. And some people say, oh, I don't like him. But all of a sudden you hear a story from his past and you go, oh, this is incredible. And all of a sudden you change your uh, opinion about him. That's why you never need to judge somebody before you know more about him. And, uh, you know, my story is quite different. You know, I went through a lot growing as a a little boy, going through the national service, becoming a a professional footballer and retiring no because I wanted to retire it was taken away from taken me taken away huh?
2: we'll come to that and excuse me being a bit forward here but when you're in the army they give you a gun they teach you how to fire it
3: I was not really good I hope the Bulgaria won't go to war to anyone <laughs> I won't because I'm telling you I was really bad you know I loved it don't get me wrong I loved that, that's, it guns do
2: terrible damage and I'm not being flippant here at all but I've shot a lot of different
3: types of rifles i would recognize that it can be very seductive i enjoyed it i enjoyed the uh the disabling you know the gun you need to disable it you need to clean it you need to put it back together you know actually you need to look for it it's your own gun so you get you put in the locker you lock it and nobody's allowed you've got bullets and you know how many you've got you count them you polish them and then after that you go and start shooting but every time we were shooting, I was closing my eyes. So I wasn't really allowed to shoot because I was closing. I would never hit the target. But, you know, I wasn't scared, you know, holding the gun. No. And just having it and that. But when you start the noise and, you know, you've got about 40 other soldiers behind you and the loudness and everything, you know, was the worst thing. Because every time you shoot, the cartridge comes out. Yeah, it just came out and yeah. it was snowing. So when the bullet came out, you need to pick it back. But it's so hard. everybody had twenty, no, yeah. and the snow is probably about to your knee, so you know when you keep firing, and after that say you need to pick it up, you can hardly find them yeah. in the snow, yeah, you can find one or two until you find your, uh, all of them you're not allowed to leave. You're there. I remember we two of the boys were missing three we We started shooting like in uh, lunchtime, and we didn 't go back uh, to the base about eleven o'clock we need to, you got. You know, touches and everything to to try. You and find, them. You find we wasn't things. allowed. Of yeah, yeah, you wasn't allowed. That's what you're looking after
2: it. Anybody who's anti-war, anti-guns won't maybe won't like this theme. But these things do teach you personal pride, discipline, rules. Presumably, if you take all these words you've been using right now, there have been many footballers growing up with managers telling that about their boots or their kit. Wash your kit. Look after your boots. You're in charge. Clean the dressing room. You know, clean your professionals' boots. These are. The same concepts just applied to boots and not guns, but it's the same sentence.
3: Pride, order, rules. This is everything you mentioned. This is what you learn. Everything is about working as a team because being an army is depending on each other. Mm-hmm. When you do that, in the morning you get up, your beds need to be fixed, every single one. Nobody is allowed. You know, you, you deal as a room. So we ate in the room.
2: One guy fails, everybody fails. Everybody
3: fails. What's happening there, the buttons in, in our jackets, we need to take off in the evening, every night, sew them in, in the morning, make sure everything is right. Yep. Tucked in, it's half six, you're down, down there, they read a little bit about you know, the history of Bulgaria, then you sing the national anthem, then you go for a run, you come back, you shower, everybody together, nobody's allowed to be, uh, be late, everything is on time, mm-hmm. everything is in group. One fell, everybody fell. So
2: do you learn to, to... See, some guy is not polishing his buttons or can't quite make the run on time. Do you castigate him as a
3: group or do you help him? Or, or we, we don't let that happen because, you know, the how? punishment. How? We work as a team. You make sure that when you do your stuff, everybody else doing it as well because if one fell, we fell. I remember our room get punished once and I don't know if you've done that. We need to wash the stairs, five-floor buildings. We need to wash it. But what 's happening is we've got a big bucket with twenty sobs in it, mm-hmm. so more sobs he put, more foam comes. yeah, so what he does put all the sobs in there, the water get all the bubbly, all the foam come out. so he just throw it from the top floor down to the bottom, and it, you start cleaning, you start cleaning. When you get to the second floor, captain obviously we've been punished, so for him to be punished, we, we need to clean that for a day. We need to clean for four days. What he kept doing, every time we get to the second floor, you go to the top, put the sops again. Off we we go again. again. And then you know the next time that you're not allowed to do that. So the next time somebody haven't polished their their boots, you haven't done uh, properly clean his gun, you're on it. You completely concentrate, not just for your own performance, what you do, but everybody else as well.
2: How much of this genuinely did you take into your football career then?
3: A lot. Especially the, the responsibility, mm-hmm. the respect, being in right every single moment. Not just in, as a sportsman, as a person as well. Mm-hmm. The most important thing that, uh, that they teach me is humanity. You need to appreciate. Because when you're in an army, you don't have anything. Mm-hmm. You've got your head shaved. Mm-hmm. You've got your... Oh, your well, that's army. a good
2: look. Yeah. We, we agree. Yeah, very good, yeah. It's a, it is a good... Yeah. Let's cough, let's think of somebody
3: else. <laughs> me... <laughs> Veron, there yeah, you go <laughs> the, daddy <laughs> the daddy of the wall. <laughs> yeah so you know what you've been through you know what you're missing you know you know what you're missing being yeah. out there every day yeah uh, and normal things as a person because you and I you're not allowed to get out but you didn't feel quite dehumanised I don't no, think not no not at all not at all we knew we needed to do it I've always saw that everything happened for a reason being having a chance to be in the army it teached me a lot yeah and I actually enjoyed it it was long I missed football a lot, but you know, in a few months there, we managed to get out and start training and getting back to, to normal, normal stuff. But I've, I loved it. I loved it. And I've made a lot of friends there.
2: You're an inspirational man it's, I, I, because, irrespective of what you've been through and, and achieved, I like your demeanour, I like your attitude. Many people could learn. From, many people could elevate their own lives in general. I could elevate my own life by applying some of these rules. And then maybe we forget them because life has become. Softer. But so Joe Wangloss spots this busy, energetic, disciplined, highly professional, high performing young CSK
3: footballer. Do you think twice about Celtic? No. How do you investigate it? Just out of interest. I wasn't investigating obviously at that time I was aware of Old Fan. Like you, were? you say yeah, of course. Yeah. I was I, I didn't uh, Simon that Donnelly that and Jack McNamara was the favourite player. I, I watched them long ago, yeah. I know people won't realize. Is this a sponsored part of the night? No, no. I've always said it. I always said it. Simon, you know, Jackie. You know, at that time they they were playing very well together. They were, right? They were were exceptional, young, and when you're younger, you you look there. Like I used to also ask them, you like Gareth Barry and Lee Henry? Yeah, them two pairs. You know, you always I've looked for them because. In Scotland, they were talking about it, and around the world, they were talking about it. When they see something special, somebody interesting, they were talking about it, and them too. So I knew a little bit more about Celtic. But at that time, um, obviously, we played the national team, and a few of the boys said, let's let's go on um, a holiday. Like, go on a holiday, we had a friend who had a flat that we went there. And I remember that uh, my phone was cut off because I didn't have money to pay my bill. I was already in the, sea- in the seaside, didn't have money. Uh, obviously, we were out the night before. CSK had the offer from Celtic, not just to see me. They've actually put an official offer mm-hmm. for me and another player, Milan Petkov. Yeah. It was a national team together. We were playing CSK together. So obviously, they found uh, Milen, but they couldn't find me. They are trying to find who I I was on the seaside. They tried to see if they can get me out. I didn't have a car at the time. I couldn't drive. So obviously they found me. They have told me that I need to go go back to Sofia. I need to fly to to Glasgow. Well, I fancy that. At that time, you know, I was on the seaside. I want to play football. I said, yeah, of course, I went. So I remember going back to Sofia. We sat um, in one of the hotel's with uh, the current order at that time, with the technical director. They just said to me, simple thing, would you like to go and play for Celtic uh, Glasgow? And I said, yeah, I'm happy with it, but what we need to do? He said, well, you are flying tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. So I remember having a pair of trainers, pair of trousers, one shirt and a jacket. <laughs> that was my luggage for, to <laughs> go because it told me, you go in there, do the medical, go back in the next day. I said, okay, I need to stay there for eight, eight days so what I need to do every day wash my pants wash my shirt <laughs> and make sure i have going God bless the
2: Bulgarian army yeah. who, who taught you how to survive
3: at that at that, at that, time I remember was I can't remember his name but was an agent for agent who was involved that's when just agent just become to introduce you, you need to have an agent to do to, to have a deal and I wasn't familiar with that obviously the club sorted that for me and I think the agent felt so sorry for me on the way back from there he said to me oh we've done the deal with, I'd love to buy you boots and I felt embarrassed about it because I know where he's coming from <laughs> I said no but you know he's probably spotting me we'd been with the same trousers <laughs> and same shirt for about 8 days but you know that, that, that was the way it is and that's how my journey started
2: it's still how I dress still it's still how I dress
3: so look from
2: the army from the discipline from the self-discipline, from the booming football career to something I didn't know about until yesterday, the burger
3: van. It appears that people know about this. With all friendship and respect, what the hell? <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. I had a friend, obviously I've made a friend, he was called Brian Walson. He was a security at Celtic Park. I'll tell you how everything started. Obviously at the start I, wasn't, I didn't speak any. Uh, I was struggling a lot, and um, one day I got hurt on the pitch, and um, obviously you worked there, there was the game, you know the, the see thing. What that man saw that I couldn't explain was wrong with me. He saw me struggling. So when I left, I always, they always ordered me a taxi and that. So when I got changed after the game, he stopped me and he said, "I'll take you." So he told one of the club secretary, "I'll take at home." And that's how our friendship started. He started, you come, you pick me in the morning, you take me to training. You wait for me, you come pick me up and you bring me back. you know, we start the simple things. You know, you sit with me and you go, you touch me and you go elbow, you touch me, you go shoulder, Knee, thigh, hamstring, and I'll write it. I'll remember it every day. We will have a little conversation. You know, I'll watch a lot of movies and I'll, I'll see phrases, you know, how are you? And I'll see the response. So I'll go on the next day, you know, when he goes to the, to the car, I'll say, How are you? You say, I'm fine. How are you? I said, I'm fine. Thank you. So that's how everything it's One step that's forward. One step forward. So one day we, we went out and um, I wanted something, but at that time, his wife. He had a burger van and his wife was running it, and uh, I couldn't order. So he said to me, "I'm gonna teach you something. It will be interesting for you, you will understand later." So what will happened? Here, I was in a burger van, I was sitting inside, and people come. So when they make order, the, can I have or the change when they receive the money? The, that I will look at it and I will understand. So sometime when somebody will, will come, you said you want to do it, and I say, "Yeah, I'll do it." So you say, "Can I have?" For burgers, So I'll know, and I'll say, yes, would you like ketchup? You like? So I'll get that, and I'll put it together. So now when I go and ask for the bill and, you know, the change and everything, that's how I learned it, because I couldn't go to lessons. I remember they set up uh, to go to a lesson. The lesson was on right, and that was in uh, West End in, in Glasgow. So they've told me that I need to be there for the, for the, for the lesson. But they didn't send any taxi, anything. So, and the next day they said to me, "Why you didn't go to the lesson?" And I was like, "How?" Football can be so stupid. Yeah. How? How to get there? How to ask anybody for help? How to get back? I never even thought about doing that. Yeah. So, that's how I started. And a lot of people, you know, were asking about that. And I always say, you know, maybe some people feel I wasn't. I knew that I need to learn the language. I knew that I need to get involved in the team talk, in the dressing room, being part of it. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do it, if you don't show that effort, they'll kick you out. Mm-hmm. The dressing room itself they'll pick will you, kick the, you the, out. He's not trying, he's not involving himself. The, yeah. And you know what? Everybody at that club, Paul Lambert, and, you know Henry Klaassen, they've appreciated because they, they can see every day I'm coming with something different. And yeah. even they start playing a job with me. I remember I was running one of the Adora tracks, and then when I started getting little big jokes and boys started to you know, have a little pot with me, I've kind of smiled again. I've started working harder. I knew that I was well behind. I knew what I needed to do, but I felt more welcome. And I think everybody needs to do that. And sure. I, I'm really against now. I see players that come and they're probably four years here and they, don't, they can't even do an interview in English. And I'm, like, I'm really frustrated that, you know, people say, oh, it's, it's down to the player. No, it's down to the club to demand that. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a player who can be valuable for this club, you need to make sure... It's your obligation. To us, we pay your wages, here's part of your contract. Yeah, and no. that's what... Exactly. And a lot of people fail that, you know, to do that. And after that, they, they'll they see a, a foreigner coming here. They don't play well here. He'll go somewhere else, you know, back home and he'll be unbelievable again. But maybe he's not, you're not welcome. Sometimes that's, that's the problem. No, I, I, I had that problem. After where they, when the Celtic failed to... To help me. I think when I've started speaking a language, I've actually asked it, and I think they brought somebody on board. I think they still have got somebody now. And that's a lot of the clubs now have these player liaisons. It and used to
2: be atrocious. People yes. not helped to get their gas or their water in their houses, schools for the kids, no advice. I know of a Premier League player recently who uh, said to his club, I- I've been picked to play for my national team, and I need to get to the airport. I'm leaving out the location on the airport because it'll become obvious. And they went, oh, yeah, OK, we'll send a driver around. And they sent a driver around and he drove him to the airport to go and play for his national team. And then the driver was the owner's chauffeur. So he said, that'll be 150 quid, please. So he charged the player to take him to Gatwick for the... What kind of club thinks like that, behaves like that? And that's the modern day, not 1998,
3: but 1999. But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised and a lot of... Clubs fail to, to support. Not just I'll tell you one. Not just the foreign players. I've been involved in the players in, the, in English players. They can sort the simple stuff, bills and house and that. And they need help. Some some people not as clever as you think. It it doesn't matter that you get paid fortune. Sometimes. Also Stuff in life is taught. completely different. Whether you're clever or not, I accept
2: your point. And a, a guy who looks talented, who's famous, who's got a beautiful car and massive wages, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're wonderfully bright. But you've given three or four examples in your life where you were taught things. So whether a man is, is bright or isn't bright, teach them the right things, teach them early, repeat them until that man is on his own two feet, and then let them go. Don't imagine clubs agents, journalists, directors of football, don't imagine that a footballer, because he has talent or determination, can cope with life. It's just not true. It's not. Teach. It's on. Teach. Exactly. When, when you get there then, oh, listen, I just want to get out of this. When did you tell the dressing room that you were working in a burger van?
3: Well i
2: wasn 't uh... they still don 't know do they, they
3: do. yeah, of course they knew. no they knew about it, uh, obviously, after that, when I started uh, speaking the the language and that obviously a few of the boys will go for lunch or will go for dinner dine you know Brian would come with me, they were happy with him, he was a great guy. And, you mention it, and the boy would just get hammery. They I mean, and uh, you know, they'll order from the menu, and then you know, Paul Lambert would turn around and say, and two burgers stand with the ketchup. <laughs> he's, he's got stuff like that. And they knew about it, but you know what? They weren't laughing about it. I know we'll have a banter you, you, about you it.
0: You knew it was yeah, that.
3: They yeah. knew that I'm improving, they yeah. knew that I've done it because I want to be close with them, I want to speak with them, I want to be part. Of that team, and they appreciate it. Let's say thank you, Brian. Thank you for me. Thank you, Uh, because
2: I'm proud of like the Scottish character. Should do that. They should think. They should see should help. They should reach out. I'd like to think that's part of our national character. Yes, is. it, it isn't always, but
3: he was one. And you know, we, me and my wife, we we love that time in Scotland. We still go back. Uh, we still have a lot of friends there. It's it's a place that it's it's in my heart, and I'll never forget. You know, I've I had seven unforgettable uh, years. You know, something that you cherish for all your life, and you know, it's a special place, and it always will be a special place.
2: I'm genuinely, even though I I left it to go and pursue my career. I'm genuinely happy as a Scot to hear that. Joe Bengloss did another great thing for the club in, in spotting and signing Moravcic, um, who I think was playing in, in um, French football. Was Lubo
3: Moravcek quite talented at, at football? Talented. Talent won't be enough to, to describe Lubo. He was exceptional. He was exceptional, not just as a player, but as a man as well. You know, sometimes we, we're talking about Chelsea, you know, football and that. He wasn't like that. His talent was second up. We all cherished Lubo. We all knew what he can do. But, you know, Martin haven't picked him every game. If you look at it, he hasn't picked And he never said a word. Mm. He never moaned. He never showed it in training. He never showed it in the game. And that makes him even more special. Mm-hmm. You know, and Martin, was picking me ahead of Lubo. And sometimes I'll, I'll look at him in training and I'll go, I'm not just lucky. I just can't realise why. And this man will always help. This one will come and he'll tell me what I... You know, if I play a good game, he'll ah, Yes, You okay. come and you will say, you've played well, you could have done that better. If I don't play, he'll say, you need to push a little bit harder. If you come on, he said, say, will you see me what I've done? And when you have somebody like that, you treasure it. Yes. But that's why he was with us. Left, right foot, football brain. You know, he, he'll go and play left back. He's still going to stand out from everybody else.
2: He seems to have a great vision of how the rhythm of the game should go fast, medium,
3: slow, where everybody was. He can change the pace of the game with just a look, with just his position. How comfortable he was in the ball. You know, ball could come from either way. He knew already how to pass, what side of the foot he's going to where the ball will go, where it's going to be the next move. He was way ahead. He was well ahead. And we hated doing shooting with him. Because literally, it will come left and right and it will be in the net. Left and right, it will be in the net. And it's something that we, we had the pleasure to deal with, to be part of it, because it was exceptionally special.
2: There was a nice little moment I was going to pick on. One of his last great occasions, and maybe a great occasion in your life, as you replace him at home. Juventus. You see, you could interview yourself here.
3: You know, I, I, I was supposed to start that game. And Martin O'Neill pulled me in. And obviously, that was going to be. Luba already said that he's retiring. And at that time, I was flying. At that time, I would
2: scored in the first game in Turin. Yeah. In a game that, for sure, at least a point you should have taken. I think you were cheated yeah. for the 3-2 in Turin. Yes,
3: it was. But it's it's where football goes. Okay. We just need to accept Fine. it. But yeah. but that game, I remember the day before, obviously, Lubu said that he's after that season, he's retiring. And that was our last chance. I think we didn't have a chance to go through. And he knew that he's stopping. So I remember Matt O'Neill pulled me in and um, he said to me... Um, I'm going to leave you out tomorrow. In my mind, I knew about it without him telling me. Yeah, You know, obviously, looking, training and that. and I was happy for yeah. Lubo. I was more delighted about it. And I didn't have a problem with it. I was just happy to see him. And I'll tell you what, it was incredible that yeah. game. He made everything. All the goals, he was exceptional. They couldn't go near him. It was a thriller with goals. We won 4-3, if you remember. I was happy about it, Lubo because... At the next team, I was sad because he won't be able to see the talent of Luba anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He wouldn't be part of us after that season. That was, that was the painful bit, I think, for everyone. So I was told earlier that I won't play. I knew that he's going to start the, the game, so that was, that was fine with me.
2: Well, let me offer you the choice of saying about the... maybe the, You win trophies regularly, but because that includes Aberdeen being deprived of them. <laughs> I prefer your European history... That beautiful run to um, Sevilla is something really extraordinary for a Scottish team to go and beat Blackburn, to win at Anfield. If you look at that run as a personal memory, what stands out? What's the thing that makes you happiest or proudest or a moment when you went, I can't believe this is happening?
3: I don't think I've ever said I can't believe this is happening. I think it was more of um, wondering at one point how far we can go. That's how confident that team was. Because we had one exceptional player, which another one, Henrik Larsen, mm-hmm. and this guy was every time we're in trouble, you come mm-hmm. up with something special—a goal, a pass, a performance. So we had somebody we can look up to. and say, you know, having him, you know, we all put our shift, we all have our ability, but we've got something special there. And as long as we have him in the team, we've got a chance. Mm-hmm. And we've played some. Tough opponents, you know, just, you know, at the time I, I remember the Blackburn, the Liverpool, the Boa Vista, you know, Stuttgart, you know, it's, it's tough teams. That I remember Balakov playing for Stuttgart that time, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, we believed that the belief in that team that we can win games, that we can achieve something special is enormous. We couldn't take a draw for success. That was the fit for us. And we had that in us. I think with the characters, with the winning to win, it was enormous. It was just so much. As a team, we knew each other inside out. The togetherness, we were just scared to let each other down, which is a big thing in one team, and we had that. That's why a lot of teams at the moment struggle, and at that time, we had that. I wouldn't let, as playing as a midfield, I wouldn't let Lambert or Lennon down. Mm-hmm. I knew that every time we lose the ball, I need to be beside them. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not there, I'm letting them down. And that'll be the same for them. If I lose the ball, they'll be right behind me. Because they know that, that, that I need the support. I knew that if Hendrik if goal for a header, I need to be on second ball. second ball. Because if I'm not, he'll be demanding. He'll come after the game, he'll tap me and he'll say, next time when I flick it, you need to be there. And I knew that. That's how demanding everybody was. Without saying too much, we knew what everybody required to do in that team. It's unusual to get personalities
2: matching like that. Desire. Lots of guys you're competitive, lots of guys you're talented. But that ability to work for each other, to get on, to put jealousies aside, these don't happen often in a man's career.
3: No, and we had it. And I think Martinho managed to control that quite well. How? i'll probably won 't describe it as a management i'll say as a probably friendship friendship a long distance friendship if you understand mm-hmm. he 's always open to us, he had his wall between us, but we all knew that we 've got the backing up of him
2: mm-hmm.
3: and he managed to control that in a very very interesting way and um, you know if you look at it he haven 't spoke with most of us but he know what we can do. He know how important we are for the team. He know how to use it. He knows if somebody don't train for a week, he will play Saturday because he know what he can offer. That player will be ready because you know that if he's picked, he demands from him and he will be there for him. It's like for everybody else. If you look at it like Lambert and Lennon, you know people were talking about oh they're slowing down. They they, they. that's their best years. They played so well together. They were controlling games. The big teams will come like Bayern Munich, Barcelona. You know they'll pass us to death. But then too. You know sometimes I'll think, "Where these these two boys got legs and lungs?" But they won't stop. They just won't stop. When you have something like that in that team, you just can't give up.
2: The big interview is produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the music that you love, is Beer Jacket, who's always been there for us. Big hug to you, baby. You can keep up with everything that we do, within reason. You can enter exclusive competitions and put your questions to our future big interview guests by getting on the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. How many times do I have to tell you? Yes, several thousand of you have done it, but come on, slackers at the back, sign up. That grahamhunter.tv site is also where you can buy the new updated version of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. It's my account of the Guardiola era at the camp now, from 2008 until 2012, plus Tito, Tata and Adios Johan Cruyff. It is in all good bookshops now, but it does also make a big difference to all of us who've worked on the project. If you choose to buy direct... Particularly for Christmas, at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books. You'll be sure to get the new edition and you will be helping us to continue producing independent content. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Without you, this would be fun, but a lot less fun. See you soon.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.